You're listening to Episode 9 of the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast. Welcome to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast, where we show you how to build your business brick by brick. Put on your hard hat and grab your tool belt because you are about to enter the construction zone. And now, here's your host, Christy Hostler. Hey everyone, thanks for joining the Brick and Mortar Reporter podcast today. My name is Christy, I'm your host. I have a very special guest. I'm so excited because this business owner has a two-dimensional business that has been running and successfully um, growing over the last several years. So I wanted to share her experiences with you today. Um, I have Chris Raymond, who is the uh, owner of the Tulips General Store in Verroqua, I can't even say the name of your city, in (laughs) Verroqua, Wisconsin. I must have a southern accent speech impediment. Um, Um, And she's also the co-owner of the Naughty Goat Soap um, Company, and that was actually started first, and then the Tulips General Store kind of came along after that. So Chris has got a lot of experience to share with us today, and we're going to try to get down to the the ups and the downs and the good and the bad. So um, welcome, Chris. We're so glad to have you. How about starting with telling us a little bit about your history, both personally, professionally, anything that would kind of help us get to know you a little bit? Oh, good gravy. Okay. Um, Well... And say the name of the the city correctly, so I don't ha- act like I can't speak, right? <laughs> Baroque, Wisconsin. We can't even say it. Don't feel bad. Okay, well that's I'm a newbie with that name, so I guess that's my excuse. We can call it V Town. It's just easier. It sounds way more cool. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> um, let's see. I I was actually I was in food service for the last twenty some odd years. I've been in food service since I could walk. Wow. Worked for some high-end professional caterers and ended up, my dad bought a a farm up here in Iowa, uh, which is about, just across the river, it's about an hour away. And Mm -hmm. I've been back and forth in this area all my life. I was born about 45 minutes from here and spent a lot of time in Chicago working in the culinary industry and went out to L.A. and ended up chefing in a restaurant and met this one and it was just sort of farm city after that. Oh, wow. Out of the country, I mean, out of the city into the country, huh? Kind of. I mean, it was always in my roots, but it's entirely Miranda's fault. (laughs) Entirely. Yes, entirely. Um, You know, she was homesteading and and had a few acres, and we ended up buying a farm together, and I'm apparently addicted to livestock, so we ended up with a whole bunch of critters, namely goats. Ah. And that's where it all started, really. Can you give us a brief definition for people that might not be real familiar with what homesteading is, kind of? Um, and let me also introduce um, Chris's partner, Miranda, who's also the co-owner and the main uh, chief creator behind the Naughty Goat Soaps. And um, so can you kind of give us a real quick history of, or a real quick definition of what the homesteading actually would be considered? To me, I think homesteading is a step above hobby farming but okay. a step below, like, full-blown industrial farming. We do things, okay. you know, it's, um, think back to sort of like Little House on the Prairie type of style. You're doing mm-hmm. a lot of things for yourself. You're being as self-sufficient as possible. Um, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, a mile out of the suburbs or mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. You can do homesteading anywhere. 
And it's just really trying to be as self-sustainable as possible, whether it's with your food or electricity, water, all those kind of things that you could be not necessarily living completely off the grid, but just trying to be self-sufficient. I'm sure some people do live completely off the grid, but that would that would be a big commitment, I would think. So um, we're working on it. <laughs> yeah, it's, I was going to say it's an investment. And it's a process. But I know that uh, that works so well for a lot of farm um, type uh, industries where they can get the solar and, and get the other things that really make it worthwhile to uh, lower the carbon footprint and that sort of thing. So, yeah. well, take us up to current times. How did you get to, um, you started the soap. Tell us a little bit about how that started and then kind of how it transitioned into now we have Tulip's General Store. Well, which I love. I think that's awesome. <laughs> love those kind of stores. I'll let Miranda describe the, the soap journey. I had been uh, growing medicinal herbs for about 10 years or so and oh, wow. using a lot of them to create balms and salves for my family. And then it became making things for friends and friends wanted to buy things and give them to other friends. And that's how the naughty goats came about. Is it was based off of demand. So, were you using goat products with them? I mean, in, is are goat products used in the soaps or no? In, in the soaps and in the lotions. Um, okay. Most of the items that are used or that are created on our farm um, have items in it that are grown on our farm. Okay. So we use a lot of. Um, I make a carrot soap. We grow the carrots, oh, wow. we juice the carrots, they're in the soap. Wow. The store part was kind of my fault. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> well, the farming thing was your fault in the first place. So so we, we had friends who were running this um, sort of boutique gift shop here on Main Street in Roqua, mm -hmm. and we were doing the farmer's market across the road. And we always loved this store, and the girls had decided that they were going to go and sell the business and get on with their families. They had a lot of stuff going on. And in the middle of the farmer's market, while she was at a bridal shower, I texted her and told her we needed to figure out a way to buy it. Because <laughs> I wanted to turn it into a general store so that people like us who homestead like us and, you know, aren't floating in money or anything, had somewhere that they could go that, that made sense to us. Mm -hmm. To be able to buy good, you know, quality handcrafted items and handmade soaps and lotions and, you know, woodwork. And, and we really wanted to celebrate a lot of the local folks in this area. It was really important. Mm -hmm. And now 90% of what we carry in this shop so far is locally produced. Wow. That's a, that's a, that's a very high number. Very We're high. Super strict about it. That That's the whole point is to keep the economy here in our small town. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, let me ask you this. With the um, kind of making the store the, the distribution channel for the soaps, is that did you have any other distribution mechanisms in place before the store for the soap, or was it just through, the, like, the local farmer's market, or what were you doing with that? We had the farmer's market, and through the farmer's market, we gained a couple of small uh, local shops, and Facebook helped tremendously. It was a ah, brilliant tool. Okay. And promoting the Naughty Goat Soaps on Facebook started her with some, you know, shipping orders and mm -hmm. some tiny shops here and there that wanted to carry the soaps for her. 
and it mm-hmm. just it just grew from there. The demand was was getting so much, and it was becoming so popular. I really thought having a storefront to sort of launch it full blown would mm-hmm. be a really wise move. And so far, it's been a, a very smart move. She could hardly wow. keep up. Well, that's I guess that's the whole point. I mean, to grow, growing does have its uh, drawbacks there, and then you end up with no free time. So, welcome to the world of the small business entrepreneur, right? That's true. <laughs> that's that's everyone's story. I think we did it in a smart manner because mm-hmm. we started small enough and then grew by increments until we could oh. grow into this. Um, yeah. I would not have been ready two years ago to have a store and sell this amount of soap and everything else. So you bought the store that was in existence, but at the same time sort of changed the business model of it? Is that, oh, yeah. Would that be accurate? Yeah. Like I said, they were a small um, gift boutique. Mm-hmm. So it was really sort of seasonally driven. Um, mm-hmm. They were also really into having local crafts in here. So most of their artists were local consigners. Okay. A big chunk of their business was consignment. And we've kept a lot of that, but we've added a lot more to it. And we're we're constantly, about every week, we've got new stuff coming in. Wow, that's very exciting. So uh, when did you decide you wanted to be an entrepreneur? <laughs> I, or have you yet? Have you decided yet? <laughs> I think the dream might still be kind of out on that, except for the fact that me personally, I don't like listening, being told what to do. Uh-huh. And so that sort of automatically makes me an entrepreneur because I can't right. have a boss that drives me insane. It's like the uh, unemployable syndrome where you can't work for anyone else. Kind so. of, yeah. I mean, I just, I've always been one of those natural sort of bossy, tell-it-all kind of people, which she's, mm-hmm. she isn't me about. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I just, yeah, I, I wanted to be able to do things in a manner that I was comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And I think Miranda felt a lot the same way. We we just want to be able to do things that we feel good about and we can put our heads down at night and not be ashamed of what we've done. Mm-hmm. And this this allows us that opportunity. It's, it's so great. Else. Yeah, I was going to say, it's so great to hear um, people that are actually able to carve out a business that is very much in line with their values as far as, you know, local and and being very um, sustainable and, and that sort of thing. Because I think so many other businesses have been carved out of greed and money and power and all that other thing. And, you know, you're not looking to conquer the world, but you are looking to um, really be an economic infusion for your local community. And there's that's that's what the whole point is of even this podcast is to highlight all this work that's going on all across the country. So uh, my hat's off to you for 90% locally produced. And, you know, do you, you probably haven't really even gotten to the point where you're near maxing out um, what is available there locally. Oh, no, are you close, no. Not even- and that's really mind-boggling because don't you think that's a microcosm of what's going on with the rest of the country, too, if people would just open their eyes and look at it? Oh, yeah, completely. And I think, you know, I, I mean, granted, it's probably a little easier in some ways out here sort of in the middle of nowhere. Uh-huh. But I can easily see how if people were, were able to sort of let that guard down and network a little bit more, even in more urban-type communities, you would still be able to find a lot of neighborhoods that can function much more self-sufficiently if they would just open their eyes and open their hearts and talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, you've got a neighborhood, you know, all, the same way that people organize a neighborhood watch, you could organize a neighborhood homestead. 
Right. You know, and each right. one of your neighbors on the cul-de-sac grows a, a specific type of produce, and this guy's mm-hmm. handy with mechanics, and that guy's handy with woodworking. You can have entire neighborhoods working together just the same way that, you know, you would model a business like this. Yeah, and that's, I was going to say, and that goes back to that whole idea of that connectedness that you feel whenever you're kind of doing the, it's almost like community building in a lot of ways with that. So what was the biggest fear you had whenever you, uh, (laughs) you took on the store and uh, added, I'm sure, a whole lot more uh, financial burden to you as well as a additional time constraint. And it, it's, you know, obviously something that wasn't, um, you know, retail wasn't something that you had in your back pocket as far as uh, your work experience. So what kind of fears were you having with that? I was pretty much convinced we were going to open the door and not a single soul was going to come in. <laughs> <laughs> great. That's a great business plan. Right? Set the bar low, right? <laughs> no, I was, I was, you know, that's the nervous part of me was, was oh, right. good, Greg, nobody's going to show up. They're mm-hmm. not going to like anything. They want the old tulips back, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. But we, it was a calculated risk for us, and, and it just it made sense. We were going to do something similar on our own farm, mm-hmm. and when an opportunity came to take a main street business on a really highly traveled you know, road and in mm-hmm. an adorable little town, we, we, there's no way we could have said no. And it was a gamble, and it was nuts. And I'm still not entirely convinced we were you know, not crazy instead of brilliant. <laughs> Well, exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, though, part of that is the the crazy part is the driving factor behind so many entrepreneurs, though. It's like taking that risk that everyone else would say, ooh, that's, you know, that's, I'm too risk averse for that. No, it might fail. You know, you just go do it anyway and you figure out a way. Yeah. And we've, we've kind of done, you know, some things a little rear end backwards. Um, uh-huh. You know, some of the stuff we were like, we have this brilliant plan. Where are we going to get the money for that? <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and hence some of the crowdfunding and some of the other things we've done. And, and we're still working on some grant proposals for the farm and the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, you know, the Chamber of Commerce has been a, a, a brilliant resource for us. Uh, I was going to ask you about that and um, before we definitely got uh, through all the, the things I want to talk about. But um, can you just talk a little bit about how the ch- what the Chamber has offered you? Because I think every area... Um, is going to pretty much have a Chamber of Commerce accessible to uh, new business owners. Um, at the same time, there might be a higher cost of entry um, in different places depending on what the fees are. But I've heard so many people say again and again that that has been the biggest source of building their network. And not just that, but them knowing which resources to point you towards yeah. that can help you. So talk a little bit about what you've gotten out of your chamber. I, we, you know, I'm, I'm not positive about other areas, but our particular chamber of commerce, our, our director is amazing, and mm-hmm. she has really thrown herself into this position where she is every bit the part of this Main Street, <clears throat> and she understands all of these businesses, and she takes a lot of time with each individual business owner and really tries to understand what they're doing and she, instead of having a competitive market up and down this main street, she uh-huh. sort of, um, what's the word She's I'm looking for? She's trying to help facilitate a cooperative. a cooperative main street. I see. And that makes a humongous difference because it automatically puts everybody on sort of even keel and mm-hmm. sets a good pace for everyone because you want to work with the guy across the street instead of right. worrying about whether or not he's going to steal customers out from underneath you. 
Right. That that competition aspect tends to put people on their heels. Mm -hmm. And I think that's bad for business all the way around. Absolutely. Our town only has about 4,200 people in it. Wow. Okay. Very big. Well, no wonder I can't pronounce it, right? (laughs) And here's the funny part. It's kind of the mecca of the area because where we actually live by the farm only has about 700. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So, you know, but the other part is, though, it's interesting to see that you could take a small town, small area, carve out a living um, by doing these different things in, in populations that most people would statistically say can't support a store or these other things, oh, you know? I wish I could show you a picture of Main Street. This is an incredible town. This That's town is amazing. absolutely amazing. We have a, an incredible food co-op. We've the got pervasiveness quite a of having a, a cooperation versus the competition. Farmer-owned, you know, business owners is something that I'm hearing over oh. and over again. And especially, you know, with people the that are in the local movement and really trying to stay local. And I think and that wow. is, I mean, that's one of the you know, keys. I mean, you want to be able, if you're not carrying some something that a customer wants, but someone across town is, they're still your customer. And the better you can serve them, even if you have to send them over for that one thing, uh, they can't get it from you anyway, you know, and you hope they'll come back to you for the rest of the things they can get you. So it's kind of that trying to stay out of that scarcity mindset, you know. Yeah, and and we do a lot of that, um, in particular on our block. I mean, we, we part of our draw to the general store is we have a tea shop and we serve tea and we do, Miranda does pastries, and so we have kind of a little bit of that going on. Wow. But we don't do coffee because across the street from us is Brewdog Cycle. They're a bicycle <sighs> shop, and they sell all manner of sports equipment, but they also have a, a cafe. I see. And there's a coffee roaster in town, so we, we you know, everybody drinks Kickapoo coffee. Right. So you, but so that's something that you just kind of steer your markets around and do other yeah. other things. And, and we send each other back and forth across the street all the time. You know, I go over there and get a dirty chai every morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Send your tea customers over to us. Anybody that or comes in looking look for coffee. Bagels. Yeah. <laughs> with, with, and that works better because now there's people going everywhere. It's yeah. just one or two shops down the street. And that's better for all of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now at this point, you've got to manage the production of all your physical products, which is the soaps and the uh, body lotions or the things like that um, that you're doing. You've also now got to manage the running of a store and keeping retail hours. How do you manage it? What are you doing to... uh what are you doing to not go crazy? Well, I could probably put in a plug for Rockstar because I drink a lot. <laughs> yeah, Rockstar um, and, and Brewdog Coffee, actually. Um, those are my saving graces. We've really learned to um, separate our time. So mm-hmm. Chris is in the store. I'm at home in the workshop creating soap and things. Okay. She's managing things here. Um And we switch. And we switch. So on the days that we have uh, pastries, I come in early and do a lot of baking, and then we switch spots. We also have tremendous friends who have come in to help us, and we help them in kind. Yeah, it's it's a, you know, this is part of the small community is we've got a couple of folks who are really just as passionate about this type of stuff as we are. And, you know, they're practically beating down the door to come in and help us out for nothing. Wow. You know, they just they just 
they believe in it too and they know that we're not really totally on our feet yet and can't really support mm-hmm. employees and mm-hmm. they're just willing to be part of the community because it matters to them and so they come in and they work and they help out and they shoo us out of that you know if I start looking like a freak <laughs> yeah reach eyes in one day they start shipping me off and you know, go hide somewhere and do your paperwork it's a struggle I mean it's not easy but it, without good friends like that without that sort of cooperative community feeling Oh, mm-hmm. toast. That'd it, it be a basket a, case. It takes a village. It really does. It takes a... Well, and, and I was going to say, though, when you have the mission and the values behind what you're doing, it's so easy. It, it was, I shouldn't say it's easy. It's much easier to get buy-in than having profit and revenues and everything else be the holy grail. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you provide enough value, you hope that the profits and the revenues are there because you provided the value, not in spite of not providing value. So I can understand how people would get on board and think that I'm kind of helping a cause, not just a business, you know, or kind of on a mission with you. So uh, that's a, that's a great local testament to your local community for being that small but at the same time having that much involvement with them now what do you think the single biggest challenge that you faced since you opened uh your businesses have been well gosh the single biggest is is like any other business i would think is making sure your finances are are coming and are in order um in our area in particular because we're smaller it does tend to be a little bit seasonal winter is brutal and nasty and nobody wants to go anywhere. So you do hit a really dry period over the winter. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I think being able to, you know, really organize your finances and find some creative sources for that capital. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, you know, the Indiegogo, you know, those types of crowd funders are are Mm -hmm. really pretty good if you can put the effort into it. Well, Mm -hmm. working on an online store, so we have other avenues, um, well, yeah, because there's only 4,200 people in town. So. <laughs> right. Well, and, the, you know, the other part is, I mean, even we we realize, I mean, I don't think many people are in a situation where they can be a complete local purist and get everything in the world that they need right there in their local area, unless you're willing to significantly change your lifestyle and live without an automobile or tires for the car or, you know, those sorts of things. But I think um, so many people... Um, even if they're going to have to go outside of their local community and shop online, would feel better about knowing they're giving their money to a local company uh, or a local business that is helping sustain a local community somewhere rather than the great big huge behemoth uh, you know stores that are getting everything imported from China or overseas elsewhere and there's not a lot of value getting you know, sucked out of that transaction that's right. coming back to anyone here. So online is, um, you know, it, there's nothing wrong with that and being able to get a good local product, especially, um, you know, whenever you're in a, tour, a touristy type area and people might come through an area, get exposed to your products and think, oh my goodness, this is the best smelling this or this is the best soap I've ever had. I'd love to be able to get it again. And you can get it to them before they have to drive all the way back through again so um that that's, that's definitely i think for the online store was being able to service the because we do have quite the tourist population through the summer here um mm-hmm. it, we live in a really unique area of wisconsin it's called the driftless area and it's incredible it's sort of untouched by the glaciers wow. and it's just a really really pretty place so we do get a lot of that traffic and we're fortunate there 
and and that's one of the reasons we wanted the store was to be able to the online store was to be able to you know keep mm-hmm. those customers mm-hmm. even if they're not from anywhere near here and yeah. and also like you said you know in the in the more urban areas trying to find handcrafted items is really difficult yeah so you can either go shopping at Walmart or you mm-hmm. can go online and look for products like ours right and there you go now you have a really nice quality thing that you know isn't going to make your kids sick yeah, exactly. Now, when you kind of got into the business world, did you have any sort of mentor or any sort of business coaches that kind of helped you through the process? I mean, it seems like a daunting task to take on all this if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should have thought about that, right? <laughs> um, Thanks for pointing that out, Christy, right? <laughs> well, part of it, I mean, you know, for me, Miranda was a professor in her previous life, and, you know, like I said, I worked for high-end catering companies and food services, so I I did have a considerable amount of business Mm -hmm. background, not necessarily in strict retail, but in a very similar animal. Um, Mm -hmm. So I had enough to really get the nuts and bolts going, Mm -hmm. and I'm, even though I'm a complete mess at the farm, I'm a, a stickler for numbers and spreadsheets and all that jazz. And there are some really, the chamber was very helpful, um... They're a really good resource for that. Um, There are other business owners here that are willing to share some of their wisdom, and that was really cool to be able to to go and talk to some of them. Um, There are a couple women business owners on on our block alone that I'm perfectly comfortable asking questions to and not feeling like a fool. Well, and it's good that you have some business owners that um, that are actually willing to talk to you about some of the things that maybe traditionally they would not quite be so open about sharing. And you know, knowing that you're you're in the tribe now, <laughs> so they can they can uh, tell you things, and it's not like it's giving away their competitive edge or anything like that. But they're just helping someone else down the road succeed as well. Yeah, so. we're all sinking and swimming together. Exactly. Um, now, the resource I would recommend is Score. And I don't know how nationwide that is, but I'm pretty sure it is because it runs, it's affiliated with the SBA. Okay. Um, and and even though there's a whole lot of red tape and muck surrounding the SBA, they're, they're a very uh-huh. good resource. And it's worth, you know, making a contact and, and talking to some of those folks because they're, they're really, really helpful and they're passionate about what they're doing. They're going to find some way to help you. Okay. Uh, and I, what I'll do is I'll definitely link up in the show notes uh, to that website so people can uh, find our uh, podcast show notes and go right there and we'll have that there for them. So they won't have to try to figure it out on their own. Cool. So excellent. Now on the, um, you know, as you've kind of gone through this several years of, of growing the business and taking on new ventures, um, I'm sure you've had some failures along the way. Is there any one failure in particular that taught you the biggest lesson that you could share with maybe um, another business owner that might be struggling with something like that? I would say growing a little too big. Mm -hmm. Too quickly. Too quick, yeah. Trying to, you know, getting all excited about new ideas and this, that, and the other thing, and we can offer this and we can offer that. Is Making yourself slow down is the hardest thing to do. You got all these awesome ideas floating around in your head, mm-hmm. and yet you still have the same bank account balance. And <laughs> you know, what you can do. Well, you know, and you also, as a business owner, you're constantly getting the chatter from your customers of right. "you should do this" and "you should do that," and 
many times people are saying that, but they're not really the ones going to be wanting to pay for it right then right. either, you know. And so I think filtering through some of that and trying to, um, I guess, you know, ultimately find find what your your core focus is and sticking with that until, you know, you can grow it and expand it. Yeah, so. having the patience to sort of build that up. I, I think that would be our biggest chunk is we, we mm-hmm. bit off a lot more than we could chew in the beginning of the farm and, mm-hmm. you know, almost repeatedly every single year on the farm and, We've managed to make ourselves pretty much slow down a lot more since we've opened the shop and just try and be really conscientious about what we're doing. And we were much more careful with the naughty goats. Uh-huh. Because um, I was aware that we could grow very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, especially with the name naughty goats. Right. Yeah, it's intriguing. I mean, the people want it just for that. You right. Know. And, and they are can, naughty. They are naughty. That's why they're... It's called <laughs> one incident. One incident. Yeah. Did it. Yeah. This could have been like a cute name company, little soap company, like jazzy, you know, flowery, soapy stuff. Uh-huh. But we happen to own goats that tromp all over our picnic tables and get out every five seconds. Next thing you know, it's naughty goat soap. They're <laughs> well named. They live up to the standard they've been setting. So <laughs> but we, were, we were careful with that. We We've been looking at our products. And saying, okay, what do we need next? What else mm-hmm. do we need? But we're looking at it further down the future. I mean, I'm testing things at home and com- coming up with formulations for things, but they're not ready to be out yet. Mm-hmm. So we are carefully mon- monitoring what we want, what our customers want, and how we can go forward. Well, and I'm sure it, whenever you do a physical product, you know, not every local business is um, has a physical product to do. But I'm sure when you do it, you also have to do some analysis and at some point in time, kill off things that are, are you know, not selling as well and add things that are, test them, throw them out, see what happens. And uh, that's just time-consuming in and of itself. Oh, yeah. And you have to be able to let go of stuff that, you know, there's a couple of items that we're super fond of, and we thought, oh, these are going to be great. It's fantastic. And not really many other people seem to like that particular sense of soap or whatever. Like, they just sit there on the shelf. Mm -hmm. No matter how fond of whatever it is you, you know, have decided to put out, you still have to be able to maintain that objectivity. And and really, you know, it's got to go by the numbers one way or the other. Yeah, and that emotional attachment has to come to, I guess, the overall success of the business, not the individual products that are flowing through that vehicle. So that's something that we really like. I'll make it for us. Right, right. Yeah, and I was going to say that, or you could also, you know, you never know. Some sometimes you might find a market and can do some, you know, limited edition or special runs and things like that. And before you know it, you know, it's a once a year thing, and because it's scarce, people want it. You know, it's just weird how stuff like that can happen. So, um, as far as um, we were talking a little bit earlier um, about the. Uh, crowdfunding and that sort of thing. And I know um, when you guys were, at some point in time after you had gotten the store, you did an Indiegogo campaign. And there might be other business owners out there that have um, thought about doing it, and maybe they're a little bit overwhelmed at the process because, especially when you go onto Indiegogo and look at a lot of the campaigns, they look 
very slick and they look, you know, a lot of them look like, you know, they're just very professionally done and they have maybe like these people have a lot more resources than other people do. And, you know, they've got, but, you know, what do you come up with with your perks and, and all those kind of, I mean, there's so much to think about. Can you kind of give us maybe some key learnings that you've had from doing that Indiegogo campaign? You know, one, don't be intimidated. It's it's difficult and it, it does feel overwhelming, but, mm-hmm. you know, don't let that intimidate you because there's something to be said for heartfelt, passionate, you know, pitches and, and just don't be afraid to think outside the box and be super creative with it. It doesn't have to look like one of those paid companies that has mm-hmm. hired some web firm to right. campaign. It doesn't have to look like that. If you use social media... And you can, you know, spend the time putting together your creative ideas and not being afraid of putting yourself on camera and just thinking outside the box. It will, it'll work for you. You know, you got to get it out there and you got to ask your friends to share it and you just, you just got to take that dive. Now, did you do any sort of special marketing campaign whenever you launched your camp? Your, uh, did they call it a campaign? Indiegogo campaign, yeah. I guess, is the right word for that. Did you? I think. Did you have a strategy in place? We or? had some. I'm, you know, in hindsight, there are many, many things we could have done better, um, and we could have probably been a little bit more successful. We relied a little too heavily on just Facebook. Uh-huh. And we didn't utilize some other ways of going about that. Um, I think part of that was we were we were attempting to reach a, a pretty wide audience, mm-hmm. geographically speaking. Because mm-hmm. um, again, we live in a tiny little town, right? So, exactly. You know, but I think we missed an opportunity here too. I think we should have focused a little bit more locally and done some more, you know, door to door, beat feet, you know, hanging up all over mm-hmm. the grocery store and feed mill and anything else we can come up with around town to take advantage of our community wanting something like this. I think that's a mistake we made. I see. So um, if somebody was uh, thinking about weighing their options and saying, would it be worthwhile? Um, you've got several options when you do um, Indiegogo. I think there um, there's one where you do a certain amount of time and you get all the proceeds, or you do a shorter amount of time and if it don't you don't hit your goal, you don't get it. Or well, um, each each crowdfunding is different. Um, some of them, if you don't meet your goal, some of the different companies right, right, meet right. your goal, you you don't get anything. Okay. So it's, you know, those tend to be longer campaigns so that you've got the mm-hmm. most possible time. Indiegogo was one that we chose because there was a lot less of that nonsense going on. There are mm-hmm. some fees involved, but whether we reach our goal or not, it didn't matter. The funds that came in went to us, mm-hmm. and we could use them for the store. And, you know, within Indiegogo itself, they had they did have a couple of choices um, and that would just change the level of the fees that they were charging. You know, they've got to process all those credit cards, and, and right. that's understandable. And they were very reasonable fees, in my opinion. I looked through mm-hmm. probably five or six different crowdfunding, and, and this was the one that I thought would be the best for us. Excellent. And uh, would you recommend a longer or shorter campaign if people have the option? We only did about two weeks, so definitely longer. Okay. Longer is better to give you more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a month is, is, is probably a good optimal spot to be in. 
Excellent. So, um, so yeah, I was going to say, if people are, are uh, looking at crowdfunding, there are a lot of, I mean, Indiegogo is, is one of the websites. There are other ones. Um, I guess I would just encourage people to do the research, and depending on the type of business that you have, yes. will determine which website is maybe more or better suited. Um, you can also look and in, in, do the research within the, um, the crowdfunding websites and see certain t- websites um, maybe are more suited toward technical type of things. Yep. Certain other ones are more suited toward a physical product or those kind of things. So just look and try to evaluate what campaigns are being successful and if yours fits the model of what's most successful, then that will kind of help you narrow down which which crowdfunding website to use because it is a great way to do that. And that other part is is that it gives a great way for you to get that connectedness to the businesses and, and the things that are going on in the business world. And I think people are... Um, it's kind of the back, the corporate backlash, you know, that people are coming off of. They're so sick of, you know, the big banks and the big corporations and all these other things. And just to have a connection to local and be able to help, uh, you know, grow that in a certain area is a, a good feeling Absolutely. whenever you go to bed at night. Now, Chris, if you, you mentioned earlier that you're a stickler for numbers and spreadsheets and that sort of thing. What type of metrics or performance indicators are you guys currently measuring, and why do you feel like they're important metrics for your business? Well, you know, I mean, at this point, we're still sort of in infancy, having a little less than six months on our belts. But, you know, we, we are looking at the typical types of items. What, what are we putting out in cost of goods? What are we getting back in return in retail sales? Um, it it wouldn't be terribly different than anybody else's bookkeeping in a, in a retail setting, um, but we also look at what what is bringing in you know and this is something you can't keep a record of you this is this is us talking to each other and our friends who are helping us with the shop and and this is us looking at what's driving people in here what what are they talking about when they come in what are they looking at when they walk in it's mm-hmm. paying attention to those smaller details that you wouldn't be able to put in a pie chart, mm-hmm. you know, and, and really having your hands up to your elbows into your business every single day, mm-hmm. you know, for, for a small business like this, where we're really the employees, mm-hmm. that's the best way to do it. And, and really slowing down enough to listen to your customers and watch your customers is probably ah. the most important thing, equal to, if not slightly above, mm-hmm. your cost of goods versus your retail sales. Well, and, you know, I, as a consumer, it's always nice to go into a store where the owner is there working, um, whether or not there are other employees. For some reason, it's you feel like you can at least um, get a little more information or get a, you have a little more of a bond with that business whenever the owner is there uh, working in the business. And, you know, it's something they care about enough to spend their time and not just hire it out, you know, yeah. and to people that might not care quite as much. So. And even with our friends. I'm I'm always nervous when I get kicked out to go, you know, pick right. or do some paperwork or whatever because I'm always hollering that I don't get enough office time. But we're we're a really service oriented store. I'm, mm-hmm. Like I said, it's an old style homestead general store, and that's a huge chunk of it. It's being able mm-hmm. to come to town for the day, right? You know, spend a lot of time just hanging out, and and that's a big deal to us. So every time I leave the shop I sort of feel like I'm missing something and it it makes me nervous not to be able to interact with the customers that are coming Mm -hmm. 
So um, as far as marketing goes, um, what do you, I'm sure you, you probably focus some on repeat business um, and other things. What, do you, what is your marketing things that are working for you right now? Word of mouth is huge. Okay. Word of mouth is huge, and that goes back to the service. You know, the fact uh-huh. that both of us are out there on the floor talking to folks mm-hmm. and explaining that, you know, I can tell them anything about one of the figs that's in the freezer right now. I can tell them anything about, you know, the meats we carry. I can tell them almost anything about all the herbs that we've grown or foraged. And and that alone is creating a humongous buzz in this area. We've had a lot of wow. people come into the shop that we would never have thought. We've been like, where did you hear about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's a, a great tool uh, that you just, I can't stress enough. You, It's so important. Um I have found that social media can be super creative mm-hmm. and you can really, really get things going virally very quickly. In- oh, wow. We try to have fun with social media. Oh, we have a blast. We have a marketing. Okay, so this is totally goofy and uh-huh. it may not work for anybody else. But one of the, th- one of the products Miranda makes is we, we do this sort of our own homestead generic version of Sock Monkey. Uh-huh. I don't know if everybody's familiar with sock monkeys, but it's literally a little stuffed toy sock with a face on it and some arms. Right. He's kind of, I'm obsessed with sock monkey. Okay. So she's <laughs> taking him as a joke, and he's become the store mascot. Ah, and okay. And Facebook page, and you look, almost every single post has the sock monkey in it because he introduces a lot of our new products. And okay. visit the other stores on Main Street. And he likes to get up to crazy antics when we're not around and someone else is watching the store. Oh. All sorts of things happen with the sock monkey. Have- so he's t- he's taken on a life of his own. Oh, yeah, he has. We thought this was just going to be like a funny thing. It's turned into, you know, uh, personal orders for sock monkeys that she can hardly sew fast enough. Oh my gosh! And the wonderful sock monkey that floats all over the store doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Trying on hats and socks and and well, you know that's perfect for your. I mean, you've got the old-fashioned general Mm -hmm. store type feel, and that is a perfect complement to that. Right. So and that works for us, and it would work. You know, something similar would work for several businesses. You know, different. Yeah. But finding a unique niche, you know that. And don't be afraid to kind of have fun with it. Finding something mm-hmm. that's unique about your business, even if it's a little silly, because that silliness has a, an amount of charm in it, and that charm is what draws people in. Well, and it's the personality of your business. Yeah. You know what I mean? It gives it gives your business that personality and a little bit of flair. And, you know, I was going to say, though, too, I find so many times I'm fascinated to go into local stores and sort of – just be open to being educated about different things. Like I I know enough about medicinal herbs to kill somebody probably, you know, that's how little I know about them, but I am fat. I mean, there's a whole art form into mixing this and doing that. And this is good for that. And, and I'm fascinated whenever I talk to people that can just rattle it off, like it's second nature to them and get this, get that, do this, do that. And you think, how did you, where do you learn this stuff? You know, it just doesn't come naturally. But so much of what you guys can do for your customers, whenever you're talking about, I can tell you about any of the meats in our freezer or whatever, it is an education process. And so you're getting them used to having the information behind the product. You're getting them used to 
maybe even asking questions that they wouldn't have asked, you know, before. Because, you know, you hear organic or you hear all natural. I mean, all these buzzwords that marketing has really perverted, uh, you know, corporately. And what that really means for the average consumer is different. And even in your environment, you probably have some things that are not specifically labeled organic, but they're way more true to the, the earth and the roots than things that are USDA organic because of the just the processes that you have to go through for different things. So I love that being educated, and that is a competitive advantage because you know when you go to any other store uh, that's the big chains and, and that sort of thing, you're not going to get that. You know, you're not even going to be able to talk to the same people you can't two, two times in a row. You can find a body in one of those stores half the time. That's true. That's true. Really, and if they've gone in one of those bigger box stores that shall remain nameless and can't find a single soul to save yes, my life. Yes. yes. And, it's, and I was going to say that is frustrating for consumers in, in general. And I don't know about you, but it's like sometimes I would just rather do without whatever it is I need yep. than even to have to go to try to go in there because I just can't do it. I just, it, it, it's not within me to, to deal with all that. So that's funny. Um, now at this point, what is the next step for your business? What's going on with Tulips General Store in the future? Well, we're doing a little bit of a remodel and trying to go a little bit more old school general store right now. Okay. Um, we're expanding our areas of more um, handcrafted sort of homestead larger items. Mm -hmm. Want to? What would an example of that be? Um, for instance, we have a gentleman that we have um, contracted with, sort of semi unofficially, um, to create handmade longbows for hunting. Okay. And wow. he custom makes them to specifications to each client so that the, the draw is correct, the length of the bow is correct for that individual. Wow. He also hand makes beehives. Wow. And so, you know, him in particular, that is something that our general store will be offering for special order, just like they used to do in the old days. Okay. Yeah. So wow. we're, we're trying to expand in that category a little bit more. So we might not have the shop space or the floor space for all of those things, but we'll have enough that we can show you a display item and we can facilitate you getting that item from the craftsman himself. Wow. And that, of course, again, that's just one more local person that you're helping prop up their business and giving them a little bit more of a distribution channel or exposure to customers because they're coming through your door and finding them. So great business model, you know, supporting other local vendors. Now, what um, is the favorite tool that you have in the day-to-day -day running of your business? Her. <laughs> <laughs> Miranda is the favorite tool. And unfortunately, no one else is going to be able to get Miranda to help them in the running of their business. Trademarked and she can't go anywhere. <laughs> She's under exclusive contract yeah. there. So, um, uh, again, I think social media is a huge tool. Okay. Um, even even for local folks, I think mm -hmm. that's a, it's a, it's an underestimated um, resource. It really is. What well, you know? One other thing I wanted to talk about um, sure. previous was you were asking some of the marketing ideas. One thing that is I think often overlooked is believe it or not the post office. Really? Okay. Um, I have, we actually have the post offices literally right outside the back door. 
Okay. Um, and so I've developed a relationship with them, and I have found out things that I, my father worked for the post office for 33 years, and I had no idea this stuff existed. They have small business units where they have representatives that will help you figure out targeted mailers and work with a local printing company and work out ways to do coupon specials in, in literally sections of blocks within your zip codes. Wow. Okay. And it and it's a really reasonable, cost effective resource and they're you know, great to work with. They've been fantastic trying to walk mm-hmm. us through the mailers and the and the You know, and and I think um, over the course of the year, you know, several years now, I think the Postal Service has become better at dealing with the small business. I mean, I know that, um, you know, it's different for each business and some people that are actually doing their own fulfillment for physical products that they sell online might be different than other people that are just doing direct mailing. But I think there has been a push with them to really try to hone in on that market that is too small for FedEx and UPS for package delivery, and at the same time, maybe even too small from for, from a marketing perspective to deal with these marketing companies that want to you know blast fifty thousand mailers um, in you know thirty five different zip codes. So that is um, good to know that the postal service would be a good. And I guess if it can, if you can have somebody in your small town of 4,200 that's there to kind of help walk you through that, I would think that would be available in almost any area. It is, absolutely. You can sign up with a business account on USPS.com, and and trust me, a representative will call you pretty quick. Ah, gotcha. You know, it it can, I'm sure it can be annoying in that way, but, but she, the representative, you know, both here in the local post office and the one that was calling me from the, you know, hub, Mm-hmm. Where everybody's been fantastic and really understanding and not pushy salespeople and it's mm-hmm. just been a really really nice resource to have. Excellent, glad to hear that that's working out like that. Now um, we have a little uh, kind of a niche finder question that I always ask because whenever I talk to small business owners. Um, They have exposure to things that the general population doesn't, and there are many people that will be listening to this podcast that are looking to take a leap. They want to find a niche. They're, They're trying to figure it out, and they don't really know what the needs are. But as a small business owner, you find holes in your market all the time. You find areas where you wish you could get a product or a service locally that you just can't find. And so what what is one of those things that you might have run across that would be um, a hole in the market that you've identified? Bagel. <laughs> <laughs> so the other half of the business is Miranda is a pastry baker. So wow. that makes bagels a really good idea. <laughs> Um, that that is something. Believe it or not, for for having all the local farmers folks and the food co-op and and a couple of you know pretty decent restaurants here in town, trying to get a loaf of decent fresh bread or bagel products or some of those you know that you'd be able to walk down any city block and find fifteen of mm-hmm. out here, it's almost impossible to find. Wow. Nobody can afford to put a commercial kitchen on their farm. Uh huh. So. That that part is being addressed in our community by people developing cooperatives, gotcha, and working out you know community kitchen facilities to share and then rent to and from each other. So, Love that the share economy right there in action. And that is facilitating you know we put a kitchen in here in the store, and so Miranda can help fill some of this bakery 
need mm-hmm. in, in in our area, which is it just flabbergasts me that we uh-huh. can't get a decent loaf of bread. But you know, we're starting to fill that, and that probably has been the biggest draw in the mm-hmm. store. Next really? to the soap is every Saturday she makes fresh, homemade, from scratch bagels and scones, and they're practically breaking down the door now that the word has gotten out. Really? Wow. So, so at some point in time, you could end up doing that more than just on Saturday or Sunday mornings and that kind of thing. That is the plan. Yeah, that's one of the areas we're going to expand if it ever thaws out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, at least people are coming out in the winter to get some good food to eat. So really, I'm, really good bagels. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Or else they're starving. They didn't. Uh, well, you know, we always have this thing in the South. Whenever it snows, we always have to go to the grocery store, and the bread and milk disappear. And so we just think that I guess we just go to eating those carbs so we can make it through the snowstorm somehow. So um, I, we didn't know that that wasn't a staple for the people that really live in the frozen tundra. Up there, so. Now, um, in our last bit of time together, I wanted to give you an opportunity to promote anything that you have going on with your um, businesses. And um, I think, you know, especially, um, it's especially important for us to talk about um, what you have going on online. Yeah. (laughs) Have you seen the store recently online? Because I've been (laughs) having fun. She let me loose on the web store. And I've been writing the descriptions for a lot of the products. I started with oh, wow. Naughty Goat products. And um, to say they're unconventional would be the least. Okay. <laughs> they're, they're hilarious, if I say so myself. Mostly because yeah. everybody else that's reading them is laughing, so I feel better about it. Um, there are generally, one example would be our Dragon's Blood soap. <laughs> uh-huh. All right, so it's a soap called Dragon's Blood for no discernible reason other than I thought that was a cool name and she believed me. <laughs> so I went and wrote a description for this soap that pretty much had nothing to do with what it smells like. And it was oh my all God. about Miranda living in a castle <laughs> with an annoying <laughs> dragon who had an acoustic guitar and played a really catchy, annoying tune. And the, the dragon's name was Puffball. And oh my gosh. she couldn't take it anymore, so she hired Farmer Chris to go slay the dragon. And Farmer Chris crawled up to the top with a hoe and stabbed at the dragon, but the hoe got stuck in the scale and started dragging Farmer Chris around everywhere screaming. And Miranda couldn't take it anymore, and she took out a crossbow and shot the dragon, and they lived happily ever after. Wow. And then we have Dragon's Blood Soap. Exactly. That. It doesn't have a darn thing to do with the soap, but it was a good story. Yeah, that well, everything is about the story, though. That's the whole thing in these days is everyone has a story. you got to make up the story. Well, so. I can promise you this. Going to our web store <laughs> is an adventure in and of itself. Okay. I will link up to your um, – it's, it's tulipsgeneralstore.com? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So what I'll do is I'll link up to the um, website on there because um, if you are looking for um, locally made and just really handcrafted products that you can actually know that you're actually hearing the people make it that that are talking right now and knowing that it's not um, not just a label on there that says it's handmade or homemade or anything like that, it would be a great place to go, especially if you want a little more thoughtful gift for somebody than just buying something at a, that's been mass produced. That's a 
great way to do that. So I will definitely link up to your store on the show notes. And then at the same time, um, we want to tell people where we can find you on Facebook. Is it uh, facebook.com Tulips General Store? Yes, or Okay. I will link that up as well. Anywhere else online people can find you? Um, we do have a Twitter account that we're just finally remembering how to use. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. What's your handle they on that? They cut the name off, though, so it's Tulips General ST. <laughs> okay, gotcha. And I, yeah, I do have a Pinterest. I just have to look up the name. Oh, I think it's Tulips General Store on Pinterest as well. Okay, I'll look. I can. I'll. I should be able to search for it and find it and link it up on there as well. Because yeah, you've got with having a visual product. I'm sure you have some um, good pictures and other cool things you can do on Pinterest. So that's great. So we'll link up all the ways people can find you on our show notes and anything else you want to tell us before we. Say goodbye. Don't be afraid to do it. Don't be Excellent. afraid to do it. It's it's crazy and it's it's also the most exhilarating and and fulfilling and amazing thing you can do. We we use this as a platform to well, I'm sorry. <laughs> platform to educate people as well as to sell really good, you know, hand handcrafted quality goods. And have fun with it. Find joy in it. Even when you're bogged down, look at the things that really bring joy to you and bring joy to your customers. And that that makes it That's worth, it. worth it. Well, I was going to say, whenever you get your, your values lined up with your profession, lined up with how you earn your money, and all those things just sort of fall into line, even though you're exhausted at the end of the day, you put your head on the pillow and you feel ultimately very good about what you're doing. You feel good about how you're getting, where you're getting with your business. And that, I mean, that is what people are missing with their, even with their big corporate jobs is that feeling that they're contributing or feeling that they're making a difference in people's lives. And so um, my hat's off to you because I think being a local small business owner is one of the hardest things that you could undertake. It definitely, I know that government regulation, it plays a role in, in sometimes not helping the small business person out. At the same time, the big box stores get the benefits of the tax breaks and, you know, a lot of the branding and that sort of thing that you really can't compete. And it's going to take a tribe of us consumers that can be conscious and and really spend with uh, the end in mind of trying to keep as much money in our communities as possible. So um, I can't thank you enough for spending time. I know you've already had a long day and you have uh, spent so much time with us today to try to uh, share with us what you're doing and how you're doing it. And uh, we just look forward. We never know um, if there are people that um, essentially maybe they, maybe they make a physical product or something like that that would be great for your store to carry. Um, we'll definitely pass them along to you so that you can uh, look at that kind of stuff as well so thank you so much both of you for your time and for all that you shared with us uh tonight on the podcast so have a good night you too thanks a lot chrissy you can find all the resources mentioned in this podcast in the show notes at www.brickandmortarreporter.com thank you for listening to the brick and mortar reporter podcast where we build businesses all day long with no permits Remember, local businesses are the backbone of our economy. So, whenever you have the opportunity, choose local.